Okay. I think we've passed kneeling. Yeah, I think it's time to go into uh, actionable items. I think everyone knows what the issue is. And we're, we're done with that. We, 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 everyone knows what the we. You know what the issue is? You know why we were kneeling? Okay. Do you know the issue? Yeah. yeah. Do you know the issue? Yes? We all know the issue now. Okay, next. What are we moving on next? And I'm not, again, so to be clear, for the room, I'm not minimizing that part of it because that has to happen. That's a necessary part of the process. But now we all know what's going on. What are we going to do? How are we going to stop? Because the kneeling was not about a job. It was about injustice. Let me bring attention to injustice. Everyone's saying, how are you going forward and Cap doesn't have a job? This wasn't about him having a job. You know? You know? You know? You know? You know what the issue is? 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 The issue is? Welcome to the Black Sublime Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Haberdashery, a.k.a. Aeolus White, a.k.a. Ooh, chocolate, that chocolate, that chocolate Normani Brown, just rich, just goodness. Um, Yeah, shout out to Normani, okay? Which is a random person to shout out right now, but that video just gave me all the chocolate vibes that just, you know, that 2000, that just amazing chocolate 2000, 2004, just era of greatness um, in our culture and just that aesthetic. She looked good doing it. Cake sat, skin on 100, like, yes, yes, yes. Um... So, it's going to be, I'm in a funny mood, but I feel like there's mad OD, like, serious to talk about. Maybe not serious. Let's just get in straight into the shit. So, I started the podcast with Jigga, a.k.a. Hove, a.k.a. Jay-Z, a.k.a. Sean Carter, um, talking about, well, at this NFL conference, talking about his new deal and really responding to the backlash that the culture sent his way for the new, for a partnership between Rock Nation and the NFL. And I've sort of stayed out of the frame on social media because I have, all I really have is questions, right? Like, I have some emotions, but I have a lot of motherfucking questions, okay? But what I want to do, but what I want to do before I get into that is really connect a little bit or go back to the conversation that I had that, you know, ended last episode about romance. I was kind of shooting off the hip. Well, not really off the hip. I, this is what I think. But I was talking about, all right, how there is a romantic basis or a genuine or authentic basis for um, love in the context of wanting to be close to privilege or being in love with privilege. So what I mean by that or what I meant by that is, okay, you see somebody, you, you know, you check for 
a guy with a coin, you know, a guy who's always had coin. And yes, you know, yes, there's on the superficial, superficial, um, I mean, not superficial, let's just call it first basis, you know, on my, at the first glance, it's like, yeah, there's some real benefit of him having coin, right? There's your ability to go on on dates, your ability to, you know, have, be impressed by material things, travel, experiencing the world, experiencing new cultures, like all the time. There are those things that attract you. But let's say you're not a materialistic girl. Let's say you're like, you know, I don't care about all that shit. I got my own money. I got my own shit. But someone who grew up, you know, never having to worry about money is also free from the traumas of poverty. And there are a lot of traumas that come with poverty, particularly, you know, a fear that you might once again become poor. Right? A fear that one day you'll wake up and your ass will be back on ramen noodles. And being with somebody who has who does not have that fear, hey, that person might be less risk averse, right? So you talk to him about your dreams, about your passions, and he's like, go for it, honey. Go for it, babe. Like, the world is your oyster. Like, bitch, you are talented. You're lovely. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you fall in love with him because he's encouraging your passion, because he's encouraging you to face the world. And that... Hope, that optimism, that sense of, you know, you can do it, babe. And the worst thing that can happen is that you have to start over. That comes from not having ever been poor. So, in this, in this hypothetical, obviously. But I'm trying to connect how someone being freed from certain traumas can manifest itself in a very real way that feels authentic in a relationship. And you have to then be like, okay, well, you don't have to do shit, but, you know, if you realize that, it's like, you know, I like this about him. I like this about him, and I acknowledge that it comes from a privileged place, but I am okay with that. In fact, because of my own trauma, I find that someone who doesn't have this trauma is a better match. Now, it's a fucked up position to take, right? Because you have cuz it's just one of those things that is unpleasant to say it's not popular it's not woke it's not any of that like it's one of those but it's real i'm not saying i advocate for it because i don't you know i, I the way that i try to the way that i have tried and i might change girl cuz you know shit i don't know if it's working or not but the way i have i have gone about it has been like okay no, I don't want. I'm, I don't want to be attracted by default to men with a certain type of trauma. Because there was a time in my life that you know my trauma was attracting the same kinds of trauma in my partners, and that's another thing that's fucked up. But I want to acknowledge privilege where it exists, and I want to confront my relationship with that privilege so that if I decide to do it, if I decide to engage, like I know what I'm doing. Um, and I think for me, that's important. I obviously try to be open and loving to everyone, despite their background in terms of trauma or not, or privilege or not. So it would call me to be more discerning. It would require me to be like, you know, 
maybe like maybe I shouldn't just fall for this okie doke because I've never been supported before because everyone that I know is you know coming from a poor background or whatever and I think in a queer context it's really important so y'all probably like why the fuck is he doing all this for and how you gonna get to Jay-Z but I watched this, um, and I won't go into it right now, but I really, really encourage everybody, if you have access to this film or to any sort of queer film um, directory, I'm not sure how you could watch it, actually, but I went to this uh, Black Queer, this Black Pride Film Festival last Monday in New York City in Brooklyn, and I watched this pod, this um Film is docu- It's like a documentary, I guess. Um, a documentary called "The Same Difference," and it focused on Black women in the in the LGBTQ community and all the rules that that exist in terms of like who can sleep with whom. Basically, how patriarchy and a sort of masculinity. Um, I'm not going to say perverts, but I'm going to say is pervasive in um, that community. So, like, if you're a stud, you can only sleep with um, femmes. Like, you can't sleep with another stud. If you are, like, all those, like, AG similarly, if you are a stud, you can't get pregnant. Um, if you are, like, it talks about all these rules, Um that are familiar to me, right, through friends of mine, but also there's a version of that in the gay, in the male, in the queer male community or in the gay man community. So I just recognized it. And in my head, it was all about proximity to privilege, like wanting to approximate the paragon of power in this in this culture, in our society, and that paragon, that, you know, symbol, that idea, that perfect manifestation of it has always been a masculine man. So even in a context where there are no niggas, right, where it's just women, this patriarchy, this this, uh, masculine um, sort of obsession or adoration is playing out, right? And, you know, when... I think about that in the queer context, like, you know, sort of being close to privilege and how having certain privileges free you from, frees you from certain traumas. It reminds me of the romance, of the romance conversation. So now, right, we're at this, we're with Jay-Z, we're at this Jay-Z moment where we're discussing a man who grew up in poverty, who is black, who contains a lot of traumas that are documented in his music, and he's actually talked about it and now he's rich. I mean, I think he's a billionaire, right? Or some shit. I know the both of them, Beyonce and Jay combined are billionaires. I'm not sure. Um, I think he's in it by himself. I don't know. I don't I don't clock his coin. He ain't paying me, he not fucking me. That's not my nigga. I don't give a fuck. But the world likes him and you know he has coin. Whatever. Um and we're watching him engage, not quite romantically, but um, let's just say potentially with rose-colored glasses, I don't know, um, in his engagement with these powerful figures. And it seems like he positioned himself this way because he's enamored with proximity to power and proximity to privilege, similar in the way that people um, position themselves romantically or socially or whatever. But So when I started to really, I still don't know how I feel about the Jay situation, but what I can say 
is that when I started to think about it for real, things beyond Jay, and if y'all have not figured this out by now, my anxiety last mind thinks about completely other shit when I get a, you know, when something comes in my forefront. Like, so yeah, Jay-Z was the first thing, but then I started thinking about like, all this other shit that I want to share with you. Um, it may be hard to follow because, you know, it is crazy. <laughs> but, you know, hit me up on Insta if you have any questions or whatever. If you're like, niggas talk, talk slowly or something, just let me know. But the Jay situation, I was like, okay, I've had a bone to pick with Jay for a long time. And I know the whole community is going to get on their you know, Twitters and, and all of that and talk shit. So I'm not even going to rehash all of that. You know, I've loved him as a, as a native Brooklynite. I, you know, shout out to Bed-Stuy. But, and I've, I've appreciated him for his contribution. But I've always felt that this love for capitalism or this, like, that he was always white aspirational, you know, and I've kind of forgave him for that because he had, he did an interview where he said that that was a criticism of him, not quite white aspirationalism, but, you know, capitalism and elitism were, you know, he was being criticized for that. Now, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. If you don't understand how all these things are related, then I already have red flags, right? There's already red flags going off. Um, but regardless, I was like, he's a regular person. He's straight. So, you know, being, he might not know any better, to be honest. Um, and he cheated on Beyonce. So, I mean, I don't. But fine. So... I forgave him for I moved on. I liked 444. It was fine. Whatever. The imagery was beautiful. Shout out to, you know, all of that. And then we sort of have this moment where, again, I'm not sure if I'm mad about it, but my mind went way beyond Jay. It went way beyond Jay. It went about what is power and what is action? You know, in the clip that I played to open this episode, he was talking about, okay, well, we got to do something for real. Like kneeling, that was, the purpose of kneeling was to raise awareness. That purpose has been achieved. The The symbol has expired, essentially. You know, and now we need to do, now we need to engage in something um that is, you know, a real, real, real action. And I thought to myself, okay, now I need to think about what power is. And I talked about this a bit last episode. So I've been thinking about this, but whatever. What is power? You know, and there's always, there's been a conversation about power over versus power to, meaning that like, you know, there's a power, a version of power that is necessarily subjugating that needs to put people down, needs to, you know, exploit people or exploit anything to its own end. And a power that's just like, you know, you have the opportunity and the resources and, you know, to achieve what you want, to create what you want. That dynamic has already been discussed, right? And then it's like, well, what is action? Because he's talking about, like, what we were doing before, what the culture was doing before, was not a real action point. Nothing real was manifest there. 
So how my mind attacked this issue was that I I started thinking about the brain, right? <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing about I'm laughing because I already fucking know that this is crazy. But I started to think about the brain and how like neurons either work or they don't. Like they either fire or they don't. And the reason that I thought about this is like the word action and the action potential is a word <laughs> that describes like neural activity. <laughs> um so that's how that's how that got connected. But anyway, they either work or they don't. And you know, part of them is that they're so motherfucking small and there's so many motherfucking there's so many of them in our mind and our brains that the connection of, you know, a whole bunch of things that are either work or they don't, that interplay allows for really complicated outcomes. So what I mean by that is, okay, imagine you have a whole bunch of things that can either do one or two things. You know, somehow things that can either do, things that can only do one really one thing, because it's do or not do, or things that really only have two options in terms of what they can do. Their potential is so limited. Somehow when you connect them in certain ways, they are able to do things that are more complicated than do or not do, right? And I was thinking about that, and like computers work similarly, you know, this sort of binary option thing. And I was thinking, okay, well... Does Jay-Z understand this? Like, does Jay-Z understand that... Well, I shouldn't say that. I should say, is there a version of political action that works similarly? Where it's like, yeah, as a human being, because we're so small, and because individually we have a choice to either do or not do. That could be live or die. That could be vote or not vote. That could be watch the fucking Super Bowl or not or whatever the fuck. But somehow when we are connected in a, in a significant way, it could do, it can, you know, move shit. And that's kind of like the basis of all this collective action shit. Okay, fine. But then I was like, that only, that understanding and that faith that all of us gradually, even if we are subtly moving on the same page to do something as a collective and there's nothing overt happening, there's no stars, there's no like protest, there's no, but we are subtly getting on the same page that that is action. Right? We're getting to a point where we can all move as a unit. And Jay is like, we're not doing shit because, well, yeah, you awareness has been raised, but you're not, there's no big action here. There's nothing that I can see, nothing tangible. But I don't think he's accounting for all of the small neurons and all the small, like, pieces of us, right, that are moving, galvanizing to a certain mindset, to a certain, like, political, like, orientation or whatever. He's not seeing that. And then I thought about this, like, okay, well, how wasn't he seeing it? How isn't he seeing it? Because it's obvious to everybody on social media, right? I mean, we kind of make fun of woke Twitter because woke Twitter is often sleep, but it's like you... This is the mark of people of generations gradually getting on the same page and people and awareness being 
awareness being kind of all of it, right? Because awareness is what's allowing us to get on the same page. Awareness is giving our kids the language to speak for themselves. Awareness is doing all, is doing this. Like, awareness awareness gave birth to this conversation. He would have never, if not for social media and the ability for us to speak out as a community that is beyond 100 people, 150 or 30 people, whatever number you want to choose, rose his awareness that we didn't like what he was fucking doing. And it made him have to talk about it, right? So it creates action. And for him to be like, awareness as a goal has sort of expired now we need to do something else really indicates what i call like hero-minded politics where we're looking we want a hero to do something heroic to do something monumental and just like i you know gave i martin luther king did you know i mlk jr did i malcolm x like this sort of hero-like mentality so he brokered this deal between people that clearly don't care about black bodies and people that may not care about black bodies because rock nation uh, whatever but regardless like let's just say rock nation is on our is on our side as a culture he's broken this deal between people that are invested in our culture and people that are not or people that are invested in a very strict sense like capital and from a capital perspective and it's like he thinks he's doing something, but he thinks not that he's doing something, but that action is only like the only action is heroic action. The only action is a huge solo monumental event. And this move right, is more valuable than all of y'all on Twitter, all of y'all slowly galvanizing or slowly, you know, moving your orientation towards the right goal. And what bothers me about this is, well, I guess there are two things that bother me about this. One is practical. White people don't do this. Well, the white elite don't do this. It's funny because individualism is a is a is a I'm not gonna say it's a hoax. I'ma just say that or a ruse. I'ma just say that when the white elites, when their interests are being challenged, they abandon hero-minded politics <laughs> and they band together and do shit like, you know, all of a sudden remind remind the nation that we're so christian that we need to be you know anti-abortion and they do they they do things like elect trump like they find a way you know the the white elite find a way to convince the the white poor that trump is the way to go like they will they figure it out as a collective right they use the, they figure it out somehow they don't they might use a hero like a figurehead because Trump is that, right? A figurehead. But a lot of what we see, a lot of the moves that are being made are really a result of understanding collective action in my view. In my view, right? And people can kill me for that, whatever. So for us to sort of, or for Jay... To tell us that awareness is not enough. I mean, and, and to his credit, like, awareness isn't 
everything. You know, there does need to the decision making at the margin, like when it's time to do, you need to do. But I, like I said, we are faced with choices every day. Individuals are faced with do or do not every day, right? And we make those choices and we navigate them. And we, we're learning to do that. I just, I guess this is a long-winded way of me saying that Jay doesn't understand social media. <laughs> he doesn't understand being connected. He doesn't value it as the, in the same way that he values um, his capacity to be a hero. And I just hope that the rest of us don't, 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 you know, fall prey to that and, you know, don't get caught up in that. And it doesn't look like we are. It looks like we are telling him that he is wrong. But, you know, people like Jay are going to ignore us anyway. He's going to think that he knows what's right for us, that we don't get it because we're not in the room, because we don't have money, that we don't have access. And, like, what would you do if you were me? Like, he's going to hit us with all of that. And I already, and, you know, that's what, that's the mark of someone who has been hoodwinked by white elitist capitalism, right? So at this point, he essentially hushed us in that clip and she just told us to shh and go and eat our food and let him do it. And, you know, I have that is distasteful for me, but it again reminds me of how he's been. He's been like this. And I don't have any interest in supporting that. Um... I do want to talk about one, one, one more thing um, before I go. And again, it's beyond the people involved. So I saw last week, last week there was a whole, you know, Nicki Minaj and Joe Budden thing. It was all over social media and it was basically like her yelling at him and him being Joe and denying what he said. It just, whatever. None of that's important, right? But that's the context that I'm about to say. I saw... When I watched the pieces that I watched, it reminded me of... It reminded me of... Well, what I saw was a woman fighting for credibility, a woman who was uh, triggered, frankly, triggered by not being believed and the prospect of not being believed, being angry that this man or men um, in, the, in her industry have advanced a narrative that she lies or that she's not to be believed, which reminded me of a tool that men use a lot for women. So as I said, I am going beyond Nikki. I'm going beyond Joe and everybody else and the whole thing. But it just reminded me that patriarchy, that niggas, right? The first thing a man does, the first thing a man does to attack a woman is to attack her credibility, you know, her believability. 
to tell the world that she's lying or she's crazy or she's emotional. So all the things that she is saying, you know, we don't have to take seriously. And it's interesting because in a male-dominated society, we've sort of prioritized logic and rhetoric, really. Rhetoric and the, the ability to articulate yourself. And then when you have a woman or women that articulate themselves, right? And I'm not saying articulate themselves eloquently. I'm saying literally speak when it's time to speak. Um... And we don't like what's being said. The next thing we do is attack her credibility. And I think in the context, I can see someone being triggered and someone reacting violently to that, given the context. You know, I I can see that. I can see, you know, the gaslighting is real. Someone saying that they didn't say something when you have the video and then acting like they didn't hear it when they heard the video, particularly in the context of male-female relationships. Like, I see that. And then I started to think about, okay, well, you know, what do we do? Well, how have women adopted? I mean, adapted. And then I realized that, like, women, because they know that men will attack their credibility, especially if you're black, especially. I mean, that's the whole angry black, that's the whole thing. Will attack their credibility, they have become skilled in the art of receipt keeping. This is why women keep receipts. And this is probably obvious to all the women listening, but to me, it was like, this is why they are so adamant about receipts. Like, it's not, I keep receipts, but I keep receipts because of the femme in me. The feminine energy makes me keep receipts because I know that niggas try and that they lie and that they'll say that they didn't do it. Like, I keep receipts for that. You know, so when someone sends me a a late night text and then wants to act, well, even the late night texts don't quite matter. But for example... Someone will sweat you and then act like they never liked you. And it's like, oh, I got to keep the screen. Let me, let, me, let me keep the screenshots. Or you talking bad about your girl. I mean, I'm not even going to get into the team. Girl. Girl. I can tell you some situations, okay? Some situations. Where I remember I met this one guy. And this is a complete tangent, but he told me that he tried... He t- we were texting, and he told me that he tried women, but he's you know didn't like them or whatever. He tried them, whatever. So this, the second time we met up, we were at this bar, and he was like, "Yeah, you know," and my kids, and I was like, "Hmm, your kids? Well, how many kids do you have? You know, I got five kids." I <laughs> said, "Wait, you have how many kids?" Five, you know, and I got a six on the way. <laughs> six on the way. <laughs> so what? Well, you know, I just. But I was like, you told me that you tried women. So are you adopting these kids, or what's good? No, you know, I still with her, but not really. Like she knows kind of about me, but I'm like, what? 
You sent me a whole text, a whole, this whole shit about you not doing that, you this, you that, you, you know, you just tried it, you experiments it, you this, and now you have five kids, six on the way, and she kind of know, but kind of don't. And I'm like, so I said, but you told me this. And he's like, I never said that. I think I was always honest with you. I was always upfront, you know, that I still do. And I was like, no, you weren't. No, you weren't. Well, you know, I don't know, but whatever. I was like, no, I, I have the, I have the text, you know. So anyway, that's like a tangent, but this is the kind of shit people deal with, right? So I get it, and I think the the craft, the magic of receipt keeping, is something that women really should women have developed it and black women particularly have mastered it and I feel like they should keep that secret to themselves. They should pass it down generation generation, you know, and teach. That should be that should be a code that you pass down because it's something that definitely that you need in this world. You need it to do with these men out here that are invested and in making you feel, well, not even invested. Just are taught. I mean, that's part of the package of patriarchy. It's like what you learn as a man is that the first thing you do is attack credibility. You know, ad hominem attacks, whatever. This is the first thing you do. As a woman, the first thing you know is that you need receipts because they're going to try you and lie. And that's just what it is. And not because they're bad people. Well, I don't know. Not because they lie. But this is what patriarchy teaches us. But anyway, I think I'm going to expand on the same difference that movie next episode of I Remember. Because, you know, a lot of this just comes off my head. And, um... Yeah, I guess I just want to wish y'all love and support. And, uh, you know, have a beautiful week. Um, talk to you soon.